Uh, throughout this Advent season leading up to Christmas, we are uh, in the songbook of the Old Testament, uh, finding that uh, these songs, they are Advent songs, they are, they are Christmas songs, they are songs that sing of Jesus, and we'll see that once again here in this great poetry in Psalm 72. I'll just read the whole psalm for us. Hear now the word of the Lord. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people. Give deliverance to the children of the needy and crush the oppressor. May they fear you while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days, may the righteous flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more. May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and the, of the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring him gifts. May all kings fall down before him. All nations serve him. For he delivers the needy when he calls the poor and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence, he redeems their life. And precious is their blood in his sight. Long may he live. May gold of Sheba be given to him. May prayer be made for him continually and blessings invoked for him all the day. May there be abundance of grain in the land on the tops of the mountains. May it wave. May its fruit be like Lebanon. And may people blossom in the cities like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him. All nations call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. Let's pray. Father, yes, help us to join that desire that the whole earth would be filled with your glory. Would you help us to join the voice of this song in in singing blessing uh, to your name. May your name endure forever. And would you help us now as we uh, come to this song that teaches us how that happens. uh, Would you help us to hear? Would you help us to listen Uh, Would you help us to receive your voice speaking to us in your word? And would you help us to join the song, not only with our voices, uh, but with our lives as well? We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. I think one of the phrases uh, that will define how we remember 2016 is this one. It's the phrase... Not my president. Not my president. And whatever you think of that phrase, 
And whatever you think of those who use that phrase, you have to admit that it gives voice to something. It gives voice to something in many of us, regardless of where we fall on the political spectrum. It gives voice to something in us, regardless of who we did or didn't vote for. Because it gives voice to a deep suspicion about leadership and about those who are in leadership. It gives voice to an anxious and sometimes angry question. Can we really trust the people who are in charge? The people who have authority? The people who have power? And if you're tired of hearing about politics, I have bad news for you. Advent and Christmas are deeply political seasons. Advent and Christmas are deeply political seasons. Have you noticed the nativity scenes in your home and around town? In most of those nativity scenes, what's the posture of the people except for the baby? They're bowing, right? They are bowing. And that is not just religious piety. That is a political gesture. That is obeisance. They are acknowledging who is truly in charge. And who is in charge with a more extensive authority than the President of the United States. Advent and Christmas are deeply political. We will sing in a few moments the song, Let All Mortal Flesh Keep Silence, which which says, Christ our God to earth descended our full homage to demand. You see, the birth of Jesus was an invasion. It was the invasion of a worldwide empire. With an emperor who demands total surrender. An emperor who demands your absolute allegiance. An emperor who demands the submission of every part of your life and every part of this world to his agenda. Advent and Christmas are deeply political. But we have a deep suspicion of leadership and those with it, don't we? Maybe you're thinking, I came here this morning for the cute baby, not a demanding emperor. If Jesus holds such extensive authority, If he is truly in charge, can we trust him? Why should we bow with the nativity scenes before him? Well, I want to bring those questions. I even want to bring that suspicion to the royal music in Psalm 72. This is poetry about a king, isn't it? And as we'll see, this poetry anticipates Jesus. And it helps us to know why we should trust Him. Why we should bow before Him. Two reasons. Because of who He is 
and because of what he does. That's why we should trust him with all of his authority. First of all, who he is. You'll notice that here in uh, Psalm 72, the king is a gift receiver. That's what, I, that's what defines his character. He is a gift receiver. This poetry is spoken as a wish. It is spoken as a request to God to give gifts to the king. And there are a lot of requests here. There are many gifts that are asked for in this poetry. But I think the defining gifts, I think the most important and significant gifts are there in verse 1. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness. Now think about that. Think about what that's asking for. That is asking for the king to look like God. For the king's character to reflect God's character. For the king to mediate, to represent the heart of God's will, the heart of God's design, and the heart of God's desire for this world. That's what the king, that's the gift he is supposed to receive. And notice that this gifts from God, these gifts from God, they result in gifts from the nations. This is a very international song. It mentions places like Tarshish, which was a port city. And its, its symbolic importance was that it, was, it, was, it provided wider access to the world. It was the way in which this part of the world was connected to the rest of the world. And so the idea here is that, that gifts come from the nations through this port. Gifts of adoration and acclaim. Not just coming from one group of people, but from coming from all peoples, all nations. Flowing to this king, he receives gifts from God and gifts from the nations. But we have to ask, what qualifies the king to receive these gifts? I mean, these are pretty significant. These are pretty important gifts. What qualifies the king to receive these gifts? Family. It is his family relationship that qualifies him to receive these gifts. He should receive these gifts because he is a son. You'll notice the title at the top of the psalm says, Of Solomon. That most likely doesn't mean by Solomon. It means about Solomon. And do remember that in the reign of Solomon, gifts came from another place that is mentioned in this psalm. Gifts came from Sheba, the queen of Sheba, traveled with Tons of wealth to give to Solomon because she had heard about his wisdom. This is a psalm about Solomon. We should hear it in the voice of King David, old and near death, praying for his son who will succeed him. And so this is a song about inheritance. This is the gift of an inheritance passing from father to son. The inheritance not of property, but of a role. 
the role of representing the rule of God to the entire world. But if you know the story of Solomon, you know that he failed to live up to that role. Instead of representing God, he led God's people away from God. And because of his idolatry and because of his immorality, he created a situation which caused the fracture of God's people, the loss of the promised land, and an emptiness on the throne of David. So the Old Testament ends with a longing. The Old Testament, as we know it, ends with a wandering. Who is worthy to receive this inheritance? Who is worthy to sit on this throne? Who is worthy to bear the justice and the righteousness of God? Who is worthy to receive the adoration of the nations? And that's why then the New Testament begins. Some of the first words in the New Testament are son of David. That's why the New Testament begins with a list of names, a set of family relationships that result in the birth of Jesus. The gospel writers are saying to us, here is one who is worthy. Here is one who is worthy to fill that emptiness. Here is one who is worthy to sit on the throne of David. And he is worthy not only because he reflects God's character, But the New Testament radicalizes that and says this son of David, he is also a son. He is the son, the eternal son of God. He not only reflects the character of God. He is God in the flesh. And so he is the worthy gift receiver. Whether you accept the veracity of Scripture and what it says about Jesus or not, you do have to admit that we as human beings, we do long for a worthy king. We long for a worthy leader. It's there in the stories that we love to tell. The legends of King Arthur with the sword that is stuck in the stone. And the one who is worthy to sit on the throne of England is the one who is worthy to remove that sword from that stone. We long for the worthy king. And Jesus is the answer to that longing. Jesus is the answer to the prayer of Psalm 72. Notice again those nativity scenes, those nativity sets in our homes and around town. The nations are there with their gifts. Right? The magi, the wise men who were, uh, these, these guys were astrologers. They were court astrologers for pagan kings. And they traveled to bring their gifts to adore him. To acclaim his greatness. To acknowledge his kingship. 
And yes, okay, Bible geeks, yes, the timing is probably off. He probably, the, those kings probably came when Jesus was a little bit older, but we don't need to be grumpy about that. Because those nativity sets, they capture the message of what the New Testament is saying. The New Testament is saying the longing of Psalm 72 for the gifts of the nations to flow in adoration and acclaim to the king. It is happening in Jesus. The nations were there giving their gifts to him. And so we can trust him. We can trust him. We can join the wise men bowing and adoring him and giving him our gifts. In in a few minutes, we'll take an offering as a part of our worship service. And that offering, it helps to meet our budget here at Center Point Church. And that offering, it helps to pay my salary. But at a much more significant level, do you understand what we are doing when we receive an offering in our worship service every week, we were doing Psalm 72. We are the nations bringing our gifts to the worthy king. We are joining the wise men bringing our gifts in adoration of the worthy king. And that symbolic weekly act should then become a a lens through which we imagine and see the rest of the week. That our lives are gifts of response to the worthiness of Jesus to sit on the throne. But maybe you're still suspicious. Especially now that the pastor has talked about the offering and money. Maybe you're still suspicious. Maybe you're wondering, you know what, character, it's good for a leader. But I want results. What about results? And Psalm 72 isn't afraid of that pragmatic question. And it teaches us to trust the king, not only because of who he is, but because of what he does. You know what it's like when we haven't had rain in a while? We experienced that recently here in Tallahassee. We haven't had rain in a while, and then finally there is a downpour. And before that rain, before that downpour, everything is starting to get brown. And it is shriveling and drying up. And then you walk out the morning after that downpour, and the color of the world has changed into a vivid green. That's what the king does, according to the image, imagery of this poetry here in Psalm 72. Verse 6, may he be like rain. May he be like the showers that water the earth. And that is about more than just agricultural abundance. Although that's here in this psalm, verse 16 does pray for the abundance of wheat. But then what does the second part of that verse ask ask for? It says, may people blossom. You see, this king, he enables not only crops to grow, but people to grow. And to flourish. This king enables people to become what they should be. 
In relationship to God, each other, and the world. That is what this king does. And he does it especially for those who are most at risk. He does it especially for those who are most in drought. The poor. The needy. The one who has no one to help him or her. That's what the king does. He leads to flourishing lives and communities. And how does he do that? How does the king accomplish this flourishing? Well, I need to warn you, a silly preacher wordplay is coming, okay? All right? So the king reigns by reigning. The king reigns by reigning. He reigns in the sense that he promotes growth and flourishing by reigning, by ruling, by exercising power and authority, by exercising dominion, including the defeat of enemies. That's how he accomplishes this flourishing, this growth. And why does he need to do that? Why does the king need to exercise Rule, exercise authority and dominion. Well, he needs to do it because Adam and Eve failed to do it. The king causes growth by doing what humanity failed to do. Remember, God made Adam and Eve and he put them in a fruitful garden. And he blessed them. That's a key word, bless. And he said to them, have Dominion. Rule. Reign as my images. Protect. Cultivate this creation so that it continues to produce life. And Adam and Eve failed to do that. Right? They failed to protect the garden. They allowed the serpent in. And then they listened to the serpent. And then they lost what we should be as images of God. As human beings made by God. They lost what we should be, but the story didn't end there. God came to a man named Abraham. And he used that key word, right? He said, I'm going to bless you. And I'm not just going to bless you and your family, but through you and your family, I will bless all nations. All the families of the earth. And all of that echoes... Here in Psalm 2, or Psalm 72, as a result of the king, as a result of the reign of the king. Do you remember back in Genesis 3, after the tragedy of sin, do you remember God is announcing judgment? And do you remember what he says about the serpent? He says to and about the serpent, he says, you will eat dust and the seed of the woman will crush your head. What happens to the enemies as a result of the king in Psalm 72? Verse 9, they lick dust. Verse 4, they are crushed. And then after all of that, what happens at the end of this psalm? Verses 17 to 19, what key word is repeated again and again in these three, wor- in these three verses? Blessing. A blessing that incorporates not just the people of God, Israel, but incorporates all of the nations. 
and results in the glory of God filling the earth. That's what the king does. Have you, have you ever experienced a leader that is able to make people better? A leader that, that seems to draw something more out of the people under him or her than, than you thought was possible? That's really rare. That's a really rare experience of leadership. But I think we have one of those leaders here in Tallahassee, Florida. Andre Thomas is a longtime music professor at FSU, and he is a world-class choral conductor. And when Andre Thomas stands in front of a choir, that choir sounds better. You can go to concerts, and the same choir will do a piece led by a grad student, and it'll sound good. And then Andre Thomas steps in front of the group, and they sound better. He is able, as as a leader, to draw something more from them, to draw a better sound from them. That's the vision of leadership here in Psalm 72. Is one who will draw a better sound. From the choir of creation. One who will draw a better sound from the voice of your life. A better sound from the choir of this community. That's the vision of leadership here. But back to Solomon's life. This poetry is about him, but he failed to live up to that vision. The people came to his son Rehoboam after he died. And they said, your father, he made our burdens heavy. He did not free us. He oppressed us. He enslaved us. Rehoboam, son of Solomon, son of the king, can you do something about this? Can you make this right? Can you do this better? And Rehoboam said, I'll do something about it. But I'm going to make it worse. And he did. And it led to the fracturing of God's people. And it led, it, it led to the loss of the promised land. And it led to an emptiness on the throne of David. And so the Old Testament ends with a longing. It ends with a wondering. Is there a king who's not only worthy to sit on the throne, but is there a king who has the ability to crush the head of the serpent? And restore blessing to creation. And so the New Testament begins not only with son of David, but also son of Abraham. That's in Matthew. And then the genealogy in the Gospel of Luke doesn't just reach back to Abraham. It reaches back all the way back to Adam. The Gospel storytellers saying to us, here is one who is not only worthy, But he is able. He is able to crush the head of the serpent. He is able to restore those who were made in the image of God so that their lives can sing to the glory of God. And that's what Jesus does. It was announced at his birth and then he accomplished it in his life. That's why there are so many stories about demon possession in the life of Jesus. Because he is crushing the head of the serpent. 
And he heals the sick. And he raises the dead. And he proclaims the kingdom of God. It's what he does in his death. Although he perfectly bore the justice and the righteousness of God, he suffered and died on the cross because of our injustice. Because of our unrighteousness. And He is crushing the head of the serpent. It's what He does in His resurrection as He raises victorious over the enemies of sin, Satan, and death. It's what He does in His ascension as He ascends not only to the throne of David, but to the throne of heaven. And then He pours out His Spirit on the church, on us, on those who belong to Him. And what does that Spirit do according to Paul in the book of Galatians? He produces fruit. The King causes people to blossom with the character of God. That's what Jesus is doing right now in this place, in your life, if you are in him by faith. And one day he will return and he will raise all of his people from the dead and he will make all things new. And the end of the book and the end of the letter to the Romans teaches us to look forward to that hope. And it says to us, church, the God of peace will crush the head of Satan under your feet because you belong to the King. That's why you can trust Him. That's why you can trust Him. That's why you can bow before Him with those nativity scenes and you can bow before Him not just with adoration, but you can bow before Him asking, does my life Align with the agenda of his kingdom. If he cares so deeply about the poor and the needy, what does that say about the direction of my wealth and privilege? And you can bow before him in adoration. You can bow before him... Asking, how can I seek His kingdom? And you can bow before Him, asking for mercy and for forgiveness for when your life fails to live up to that kingdom. And you will find His mercy and His forgiveness because He gave His life for you. And you can bow there asking for the transforming, fructifying work of His Holy Spirit. You can trust the King because He died and rose to reign on your life. To produce in your life a flourishing that displays the beauty of God. To draw from the voice of your life A sound that glorifies, that fills the earth with the glory of the Lord. You see, in a moment, we will sing not only Christ our God descended to demand our homage, but Christ descended with blessing in His hand. 
we will sing that He is not only the Lord of lords in human vesture, in the body and the blood, but that He gives to the faithful, that He gives to you His own self for heavenly food. You can trust the King. You can bow your life before Him. Because He is worthy of it. And because He can accomplish the fullness of God's blessing in and through you. Let's pray. Father, yes, would you help us to bow? That is difficult for us. You know our rebellious hearts. You know that we are wise in our own eyes. You know that we would prefer our way to the way of Jesus. That we would rather not take up that cross and follow Him. We would rather do life in a way that makes us comfortable. and We would rather do life in a way that we think is right. That we think is good rather than surrendering to Him. And so Father would you help us. Would you help us. To see His worthiness. And would you help us. In our hearts and with our lives. And with our voices. To adore Him. And Father would you help us to see. And to know and to trust that He is not only worthy. But that He is able. That he is able to crush evil and to bring justice. That he is able to defeat sin and death and to produce in us fruits that display your beauty. Life as it should be. Would you help us, Father, to bow our lives before him this week and beyond so that the earth will be full of the glory of the Lord. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.